welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to make your own meal plan. And this topic is from a pretty lengthy article I wrote a while ago. It was way too long, so most people <laughs> didn't write, read it. So we're going to break it down into more audio form to give you some practical advice and tips on how to make your own meal plan for sustained success with your diet, as opposed to just following a rigid one. But we got an exciting announcement first. We are officially shills. Yes. We have, uh, we've, <laughs> as of this week, we are officially simping for capitalism and Wait, we're doing this. Say it? Yeah, say it. This episode is brought to you by Macro Factor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they didn't pay us to do the episode, but no, we are didn't. we are attached to them now. Yeah. Um, so Macro Factor is a coaching app. Well, it's like more of a nu- nutrition coaching app, right? So different than MyFitnessPal where you kind of just plug your calories in. It also has the same features of that, but it actually will coach you week to week depending on how your weight trends change, depending on your goals, and it'll give you feedback for that. And there's a lot of other cool factors factors that are going to be way better than MyFitnessPal. Of course, it comes with a cost, but it's actually quite a bit cheaper than MyFitnessPal Premium too. So if you pay for Premium, MacroFactor is, in our opinion, a better tracking app. And we both personally use it. Yeah. And the people behind it is actually Stronger by Science, which is a really awesome uh, fitness and science company. They do a lot of research reviews. Mm -hmm. They're they're awesome. And so we got people who are actually in the game creating the, the app for goals here. Yeah. And like their goal was to make an app that you know you could use to track like my fitness pal but that would actually coach you and monitor your body and how it's responding so that it can figure out where your maintenance really lies or you know what your calorie intake would have to look like if you wanted to lose weight or gain weight so the app actually learns your body week to week it gets a little bit better at understanding um how many calories it takes to maintain based on your Whatever calories you put in and the weight trends from that. Yeah. So it's super cool. It's like the benefits of a coach, but in a teeny tiny little app on your phone. Some other cool things about it is like it was pretty spot on with my calories. Yeah. You plug in your data and it'll say, here's what we expect it to be. And there's like a low confidence range because there's no data yet. But then after you do it for a while, it's like we have high confidence. Your energy expenditure is X. And with me, it was like really spot on. Yeah. And as we'll get to in today's podcast, using these calorie estimates can be quite off. They're only going to get you in the ballpark. Trial and error is typically the best way. And this is an app that can help you do it. Absolutely. And you can actually choose to distribute your calories throughout the week or eat them evenly. So for me, on my macro factor, I put Friday and Saturday as my high days. I eat pizza and a burger or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's a little bit lower on the rest. That's enough shilling for today. But if you yeah. want to use macro factor, you can get a two week free trial if you use the affiliate code five elements spelt out. So F I V E E L elements. Yeah, five elements spelt <laughs> it out. Um, I'm clearly not the greatest speller. And for just more information, it's in the Google Play Store and in the App Store or whatever, but it's $11.99 per month. But if you pay for six months, it's $7.99 per month. And if you pay for the full year, it's actually $5.99 per month. Yeah. And like we really couldn't recommend it more. There is so much that gets lost by way of using apps like MyFitnessPal. You don't really learn much about yeah. your body or about your maintenance, things like that. So yeah. And it's a good way to support the show too. A hundred percent. Our show, I mean. Yes. <laughs> so let's get to roses and thorns. Oh crap. How you feeling? You I'm going to let you go. I'm going to go first. Yeah. For both or just one? Let's go full out rather than shot for shot. Okay. Okay. So my rose. Okay. I drove a car for the first time in five years last week. That's your rose. W- wow. 
<laughs> you're gonna actually delegitimize that roast. Completely. You knew how big of a deal that was for me. If, if you don't know, I don't have my license. I'm 27. I had my G2, which if you're not from Canada is like a learner's permit. Yeah, so you can drive on your own. You can have a car, but you're not like a, you don't have your full license yet. I moved to Toronto. I got swamped by business, and I just forgot about it, and it expired. And so truthfully, I, living in downtown Toronto, it's almost like an inconvenience to yeah. have a car because parking is outrageous. Yeah. So I had to go through the whole process again. I had to write the test. Then I had to wait a year. And it had been so long since I drove that I felt embarrassed by it. But also, the reason why this is a rose for me is it's like a tackling of limiting beliefs. Yes. And the thing for me was greater than just the car was I had to ask people for help. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a position where it's a little bit embarrassing to be 27, not have your license. But also I had to really lean on people. I had to call my grandma and be like, hey, can we go driving? And Sam will remember this. I like tried to frame it in a way that was beneficial to her. Yeah. I was like, I'll take you to Costco. I'll do this and that. As if it's like she just wouldn't help me because there's like this limiting belief that no one will just help me for the sake of helping me. I need to earn it. It was me asking my sister. She's like, yeah, of course, I got you. So I took a train out to Burlington and drove around for like a two hours. It was fantastic. And I was really proud of myself because it's really easy for me to not ask for help. And I did. And yeah. I'm proud of myself for that. Okay. I love that. And we'll get a car eventually and be able to do more cool shit. And we're going <sighs> to get a punch buggy. We're not. Okay. We're not. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss. Okay. We'll, we'll let the uh, listeners decide. So yeah, my thorn is that... I am doing too much. Oh, yeah. And like it's slowly killing me. <laughs> so I'm doing a ton of shit right now. And my solution is like to do more. But I'm realizing I need to tweak my systems a little bit more so that I can do less. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, something I really struggle with. Like I'll be like, I'll work 30. I'll train 30 clients. I'll take on new online clients. I'll write an, an article a week. I'll do all this stuff. And I like to do that, all that stuff. But I, the thorn of it all is that I have a really hard time compartmentalizing seasons for certain things. And it's mm -hmm. actually a message that I relay. Like right now, if you want to lose weight, you got to make sure that you can allocate the time to do that. Yeah. But some people are at year end with business. They just had a kid. They just X, Y, and Z. They have so many things on the plate. They're like, and I also want to lose weight. And that can be really hard to justify. And you're setting yourself yeah. up for failure. And a thorn of mine is that I do that. Mm -hmm. and the rose in there is that I'm aware of it and like now it's up to me to change it but it's a thorn to realize how much of a of a nuisance that's been my whole life of like just more 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 and um it's it'll eventually start to take its toll on you and it is for me and that's that's my thorn right now it's a big thorn it's like your kryptonite yeah yeah <laughs> yeah my solution is just do more yeah it's not good i know getting you to slow down is the bane of my existence. Yeah, that's that's your uh, that's like your big goal in life right now. It feels so Sisyphean. It I can't is. even tell you. Like when you see your partner get to a place where like they can't protect themselves, it's hard not to sort of take it upon yourself to be like, I have to protect you then because you're not doing a good enough job at like protecting your energy or your mental health. So when I see Dylan going a mile a minute, I'm like, please slow down. And it's I'm kind of met with, I can't, I have 8 million other things to do and I'm excited to do them all. And that's like that's the, the worst problem. part. That's the worst thing yeah. is that I get, I'm actually excited to do half yeah. the shit. And that's like, that's hard to rationalize in your mind. Like, yeah, but you still got to like slow the, yeah. I was down. like this as a kid though. Like I would play for 15 hours straight. Yeah. Not normal. Yeah, not no, normal. I just, I just like playing. <laughs> I like doing things, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're up Sammy B. Okay. So, I mean, 
I only really have a rosy thorn. Um, actually, thorn, thorn is the weather. Like I am, <laughs> holy everything. I, I can't. can't hear, I can't hear about this weather. No, more. you know what? Okay. I am. I'm so sick of the lack of daylight. I am so sick of it being light outside for like eight hours a day. I am so sick of living in the dark, of living in the cold. Canada, you're killing me. But whatever, this too shall pass. It always does. So I'm trying to keep that in mind as I like put on 8 million layers just to leave the house on a daily basis. Yeah, you really do. Walking outside has become unbelievably unpleasant. I like it. I know, but you're I got a not, new toque for those, for those listening. I have a toque on right now and I'm it's swaggy. cold all the time. Get a cool toque. You'll feel Ugh. swag when you go out there. Like look good, feel good. Yeah, no, that doesn't work for me. Look warm, feel warm. I look like a penguin walking around the city because I'm wearing so many layers that I can barely move my limbs. You look like you're wearing a sleeping bag. I know, but like I feel like I'm wearing snow pants and it's just (laughs) (laughs) the whole thing is. And you're wearing my socks. That's the worst part. You're wearing wearing men's large socks uh, and you're what, a size three? (laughs) I don't know, two? I look like the Michelin man and I'm tired of living like the Michelin man. Nobody. But you look like the Venom version of the Michelin Man because it's a black Michelin Man's coat. Like you're like the villain. Oh my god! It's like when Spider Man put on the Venom suit, and you're little and you're mad. Uh. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> my rosy thorn. I am approaching my thirtieth birthday, oh, and shit. I totally understand that for most people, this wouldn't be a full blown existential crisis. But there is a very different level of pressure and expectations placed upon a woman approaching 30. And culturally, we have this story that, like, once you end your 20s as a woman, you're pretty much dead. Like, you're worth nothing in society past 30. So I'm serious. (laughs) So aggressive. No, it's ridiculous. It's like your youth is over. Your beauty is gone. Nobody will ever look at you like you're attractive. You're just over the hill now. Mm. And I'm like, I'm 30. Like, can we calm down? But there is a level of pressure and expectation that I found myself feeling really bad about. Because when I take stock of the idealized life that my family projected upon me, I did not meet it. I didn't match it. Like I, I went off the beaten path and of course that's a blessing, but there's still that little voice. That's like, you rebelled, you did the different thing and it's terrifying. So I've been going through this weird little personal growth moment where I'm like coming to accept the fact that I chose the path less taken and you said last night dinner you're like i'm gonna embrace that because it's awesome yeah you didn't you didn't just like follow the script that was assigned to you yeah because the script didn't match your your values yeah but it's terrifying it's really terrifying it's terrifying to like really admit and like reflect on the fact that yeah i made choices that were contradictory to the expectations that were placed upon me and i'm proud of that absolutely it's it's hard because, of course, the people we compare ourselves against more often than not are our peers. And my peers all followed sort of the stereotypical life that was projected onto the community I grew up in. Yeah, it's been weird. It's been a really, really weird time in my life, but I'm embracing it. It's oh, kind I'm, of beautiful. I, I like, was proud when you said that last night. Growth, honestly, to me, 
especially when it comes to like personal growth, it does always feel kind of like a death. There is a grief in it um, because you're grieving like the life you didn't pursue. You're grieving the expectations you didn't meet. You're grieving the person that maybe on some level you thought you'd end up being. And who I am and who I'm becoming is so much more rewarding and interesting to me than the person I, in quotations, should have been. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, I was really proud when you said that. Thank you. One more thing I want to do. I'm kind of throwing you under the bus here, but I already know you what? have an answer for it. It is Black History Month. Oh, yeah. So as two non-black folks, we want to shout out some art from black people specifically. You've been reading a book that you're really into. Into is an understatement. <laughs> I feel like I... It's really weird. I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience where you've um, found a human either via like Instagram or art or poetry, a book, a song who you've just instantly like clicked and resonated with on like a very deep level. And one of those people for me is Ashley C. Ford. She is just an amazing author. She wrote a beautiful memoir that kind of goes into her story and how she like overcame a lot of like family enmeshment and childhood trauma and stuff like that. And she is just, I don't know, I really deeply resonate with her. She's a brilliant writer. And it's like one of those times where the moment I heard her speak, because I first heard her on a podcast. Yeah. I actually like felt it in my yeah, bones. I remember you were like hooked. It was visceral. Like we speak we've had very similar experiences. It feels like we speak a very similar language and we've internalized very similar beliefs to the point that it was like visceral. When I heard her say one phrase, I actually started to like instantly cry. And like, I didn't, my brain didn't like tell my body to cry. Like I was just immediately crying and I, yeah. I like felt my face, like why are there tears on it? Yeah. It was wild. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You've been really into that. And yeah. And it's from black lens. So it's really important to like yes. amplify those voices during this month. And just in general, because it's just those are voices that aren't amplified um, to the same degree as other ones. Especially I find in fitness. Yeah, true. Yeah. You don't see it as much. Um, for me, I want to shout out a YouTuber that I love. Oh, yeah. Um, FD Signifier. Um, he does like black media breakdowns and he does cultural critiques, but from the black male lens. And I don't know. He like he's taught me a lot about he's just, I think he's a sociology researcher. So he speaks the language there, but he also speaks the lived experience and... I don't know. I just really enjoy his content. It's made me think about things in a lot of a different, a lot of different lights and things that I love. Like, yeah, I saw him first from critiquing uh, Bo Burnham's special Inside, which is one of my favorite specials of all time. And he actually liked it too, or he wasn't like he didn't just shit on it. It was a long but really well thought out critique of it, and I just just stuff I hadn't consumed before. And that's what you learn when you actually listen to voices from people that you normally don't consume their media from. Because normally, like growing up, like only black voices that were really heard were like athletes. Yeah. So like black scholars, people who have that lived experience and talk about it, and don't just talk about basketball or like yeah. hip hop. It's mm -hmm. just been eye opening to me and teaching me a lot, and I really like appreciate that. So I think in this month, it's important to amplify those voices. So those are two recommendations we have for you during this important month. I love that. Ready to get to today's episode? Yes. You want to start? I actually want you to start off by telling me your experience 
with your meal plan? Because I had no idea that you okay. ever tried to do yeah. a meal plan. So yeah, I've uh, a lot of people have asked us during our careers, like, hey, do you make meal plans? Do mm-hmm. you do this? Which we're not even allowed to as personal trainers. That's uh, reserved for registered dietitians. But there's this thing about a meal plan and the article I wrote, the subheading was, what's that old proverb about teaching one to fish? Yes. And it's the same thing of like, teach a man to fish or give him a fish. And the meal plan is analogous to giving one fish and just saying here you go yeah right you don't really give them skills you give them a meal which is great but you don't give them the skills to then make their own meals and find their own food and like develop levels of self-efficacy and like they're eating the same thing all the time so what i found is that people who do go on meal plans will be really compliant week one they'll be a you know there will be friction in week two and by week three they're like i hate this (laughs) so much this is worth nothing and then they just throw it away so i've never really seen meal plans as like an effective tool for a client i'm so against (laughs) that's what i did so i bought a meal plan from an influencer like six years ago this was when you were vegan yeah i i bought it mainly because i was vegan and i was looking for like vegan meals so there's utility in that but i was just so rigid and i was like i didn't follow it because i was like dude i don't even like like this Mm-hmm. It was cookie cutter, and that's what you get with a meal plan, right? Yeah. Um, unless you're specifically working with a coach, like this was just like a cookie cutter one. This individual sold, and I hated it. I didn't get any progress from it because I couldn't follow it. Yeah. And it's something I should have known intuitively as a coach. Like I didn't offer them for a reason. Like ethically, I couldn't, but also I didn't want to because yeah. I didn't see the evidence in it being really useful for yeah. a lot of ways. So I kind of made like two or three meals of it, and then it was just it was just one of those things that I bought. It's a PDF that sits on my laptop that I spent 150 bucks on and I don't use, right? Oh my God. It might have came with a training program too, but. That's crap. And I've heard that story from plenty of people where they bought meal plans and they just shelved them. They And some people actually get in the cycle of collecting them and they collect programs and they collect things that don't work for them, but it's the, uh, the high of buying them and, and putting all of your eggs in that basket mm-hmm. of like, okay, this meal plan is going to be different. Now we're cooking. And the same problem always comes up of how sustainable is it and do you enjoy it? Well, yeah. And it's very... It comes from a very different perspective than the one that I come from, which is kind of like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me. And I don't really find that that's what most people need. They don't need to be told what to do. They need to be taught why they're doing what they're doing. And how to do it. Yeah. Like they need to be educated. So it just kind of takes away the like educational component and It leaves it so that people are like super lost without it. Like from the people who I know who did use meal plans, and I mean like type A women, um, they stuck to that meal plan for years. And, you know, when you eat the same things that often and like with very little variety from a nutrition perspective, like, yeah, that's not exactly the healthiest way to live if you're eating the same meal. Like – Especially when it's made by a personal trainer and let's say somebody who's not as well versed in nutrition because like we all, in order to get into this field, we all take the same like weekend course and from there, the onus is on you to pursue additional education. So the problem is some people might understand macros, but they might not understand what like nutritional balance looks like or what why we need variety as human beings to achieve nutritional completion. 
so yeah, it's always problematic. Yeah, no, because to your to your point, what you just said there is like we've talked about the biopsychosocial model before, yeah. right? And it's like the nutrition is kind of like the biology, right? You're like, I know the science of calories and macros and cool. But when you're dealing with a human, you kind of understand, you have to understand their psychology yeah. or at least be willing to listen to their psychology or whatever they're feeling and whatever they like. And then you kind of also need to understand sociology too, like what drives their behavior, what, so yeah. what, what societal uh, environments look like to them, et cetera. Like if someone who was from the Middle East contact me for a meal plan and I was like, all right, chicken, rice, broccoli, oats, like these might not be foods that their culture is as commonly referred to as eating. So like yeah. I might have just given a meal plan that doesn't even match whatever foods that their family would have around. Yeah. So like if you teach that person how to track and you teach them how to listen to their internal cueings and give them lists of like, hey, here's what a protein dense source food look mm -hmm. like they can match it to their psychology meaning whatever they like their sociology meaning mm -hmm. whatever their like cultural backgrounds or food availability looks like to them mm -hmm. and they can develop self-efficacy and that's a way different approach than hey here's a cookie cutter three meal per day program that you'll lose x amount of weight on yeah and again like if an rd is doing a meal plan, they're also looking at it from a macro perspective, but a micro perspective because yeah. micronutrients do matter, especially when somebody's eating a very limited diet, micronutrients will matter more. Yeah, true. Yeah, so that was an interesting experience for you. Did you lose any weight? Was that <laughs> no, your goal? No, my goal was to lose weight. Didn't happen. I just didn't follow it, right? It was just one of those things. I was like, oh, I got to get back on that. Oh, I got to get back yeah. on that. And then I never did because I never wanted to. It wasn't really, this is years ago and I wasn't really practicing what I preach now when I practice now. So I was very rigid with my, with my diet. And yes. even a lot of research tends to show that like rigid approaches tend in the long run to not yield either good physical results or even mental results. For sure. And I was stuck in that cycle there. But you yeah. had kind of had a breakout when you hired your coach with this, right? Yeah. So... I was um, very confused when it came to like macros because I really did believe that there was a magic number. Yeah. I was like, as long as I eat this magic number and I am perfectly compliant, this is what it takes. This is all it takes. I don't need to think about anything more or less. I didn't really understand that like, I didn't understand the concept of flexible dieting. Yeah. I didn't understand that like maintenance is actually a range of calories. I didn't understand that I didn't need to be perfectly compliant. So yeah. when I started working with my coach, he was like, look, I don't really care what you eat on a day-to-day -day basis. That's up to you. You get to decide. And I was like, that's too much freedom. Yeah. What are you talking about? And he was like, no, just hear me out. Take a deep breath. These are your macros. And I want you to stay within a range. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be like on the nose for each one every day because your calorie expenditure and intake is going to be a range. Like yeah. those numbers are guides. They're not perfect. They're not static. They're dynamic. He was like, okay, you're going to eat whatever you like. You're not going to track any vegetables because I don't want you weighing out spinach leaves. As long as you are eating non-starchy vegetables, we know that you want to intake about 500 grams of those a day. Don't weigh them out. Don't worry about them. Just eat your vegetables. I have that accounted for in your macros. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Track the other things. Do your best. And at first, I was horrified because it felt like too much freedom. I was so, so particular back then. I was so like orthorexic and obsessive. And I had been tracking my macros for years like on the nose. I wasn't 
a meal plan person, but I did eat the same few things over and over yeah, and over yeah. again because I was too afraid to like reach some kind of like nutritional diversity because I was like, oh, that'll make me fat or that'll make me fat or that special food will make me fat. I didn't really understand energy balance. Yeah. So the thought of flexible dieting was like a loss of control. And yeah, it took me a few months to like really learn and practice on myself, like do that little experiment of, okay, I'm just going to trust him and see where it goes. Yeah. And I trusted him and you know, I found out he was right. Yeah. The process of trial and error is really powerful. Yeah. And understanding energy balance. Yeah. So that's like really powerful. That's what we want to do with this episode is arm you folks with the ability to do this kind of on your own and like remind you that if you make mistakes, that's totally okay. Yeah. What you just what stood out to me there with what you just said was your coach made it very safe for you to make mistakes. Right. And you were like, there's no way like that's too flexible. And, mm -hmm. and that's one of the things people get wrong with flexible dieting is people think sometimes flexible dieting means you can eat whatever you want as long as you hit your macros. Mm -hmm. It's not really flexible. Like if you still have to get all your macros within a two gram range, yeah. that's not like that's like there's flexibility in that rigidity. Like, but if you're like, oh, I ate more one day, so I'll kind of eat a little bit less the next day. That's a little bit more flexible. Like being able to be like, oh, on Fridays and Saturdays, I eat a little bit more. Yeah. Later days, I don't. That's more flexible. Or it's like if you go 10 grams over, not a big deal. Yeah. But if you're like chasing, as Eric Helm says, like chasing rice to get it in the bowl to hit your grams on the dot. Yeah. Even if you're eating the odd Cheeto, like that's still not that flexible because it's yeah. really rigid with targets. So we're going to section this off just like in the article that we'll keep in the, uh, we'll put the article in the, in the uh, link under. But first thing to do is just kind of understand energy balance. That's like the big thing that a lot of people still get stuck on because absolutely they think there's a magic number. They think there's a magic food, but weight is ultimately going to be governed or like body mass and fat mass is going to be governed by energy balance. So yes. super simple. If you're eating more calories than you're expending in a day, you'll typically gain weight. Mm -hmm. If you're around the same with both, you'll maintain. If you're in a deficit, you'll lose. Yeah. And it's really important to remember that like any diet that you go on, so any style of eating, if you're keto, if you're plant-based, if you're whatever else, and your intention is to lose weight with that new diet, you will only lose weight because of energy balance. It's yeah. not because of the magic of the diet that you pursued, right? And yeah. that was like mind-blowing for yeah. me to learn. I totally didn't understand that. So yeah, like to Sam's point, we're not advocates of keto diets, but yeah. the reason why a lot of people lose weight on keto diets is it's really hard to overeat on them. Like when your yeah. options at the end of the day are, hey, you can eat more avocado and more steak. You're like, I don't really care. And the same thing if people go plant-based. When I went plant-based, I lost a good amount of weight because I hadn't learned the cheat codes of being plant-based yeah. yet and all the, all the little snacks I could fit in. So I was pretty much stuck to eating all vegetables berries. and berries and whole foods and tofu. And I didn't have a desire to overeat. There was no, the term is hedonic desire yeah. to eat. Like I wasn't pleasurably eating more almonds. Yes. Right. So I'd eat less. But then once I got really good at being vegan, I knew all the all the yeah. um, the processed snacks that I could have. Yeah. And the same thing goes with intermittent fasting. Smaller yeah. windows. Some people just eat less by proxy. So if we understand that, that's key. So how you can understand what your calorie maintenance is, there's several options. 
there's a couple of calculators you can use, right? Online, like TDE.net is solid. Yeah. There's the Cunningham equation or the Mueller equations. Sure. Those ones are good because they factor in lean body mass. But the big thing here is they're getting you in the ballpark. Yes. And like, keep in mind, you are a dynamic being. You are not a static being. And a calorie calculator is like a very robotic way of finding out where your baseline is. Um, you can also, there's user input data error. So that's yeah. the thing, because for some of them, you need to know your lean body mass and some people do not. Yeah. So when it comes to those little equations, keep in mind, and I say this because it's something I did not keep in mind. I genuinely thought that the moment I used a calorie calculator, that that was me and it knew everything about me. And that was my magic number. Yeah. And in reality, you know, you could be pretty far off. It could just be like a starting point for you. And from there, we would definitely want to undergo the process of trial and error. So like really short sidebar here, like the way they get those calorie calculators to validate them is they compare them to subjects who also do an actual metabolic test in a lab. And if these tests are decently accurate, they're like, oh, this is a, a, a decent calculator you can use, like the yeah. ones I just labeled. But again, those are like the subject group might have been 200 people and these were the averages. Like, yeah, it's never going to be precise. So in the article, as I, I line out and you can do this on Macrofactor or whatever app you may use, but track your calories for a couple weeks and track yes. your weight trend. That's probably the best way to go about it. A hundred percent. Right. And if you have no idea where to start, you might start by using one of the calorie calculators to get you a random idea and then assess, does this actually work mm -hmm. for me? Should I add less? Should I add more? Et cetera, et cetera. Trial and error is actually one of like the greatest tools in your toolbox. And yeah, it's scary. But the reality is like anything on paper could work for you and it could not work for you. And until you go through the process of finding what works for you, your body, your lifestyle, it's not going to be great. Mm, <laughs> like, totally. It just always ends up in like a lot of frustration because sometimes people get these static numbers and they go, oh my God, I thought I would be losing weight on this number, but now I'm gaining weight on this number and vice versa. And then they'll say, I did a calorie deficit and it didn't work. Yes. Which, or I'm broken. It's yeah. got to be my thyroid. And here we go. Yeah. So there's like, there's standard error when using this stuff. You yeah. don't always know. You're just using you're using an imperfect measuring tool, but as long as it's consistently imperfect, it'll give you a rough idea. So yeah. I, I was saying to a client the other day, she's losing weight on she on her and her app says 1400 calories. She's like, so yeah. I'm losing weight on 1400 calories. She might be actually on 17. She might have that much of a standard error, yeah. like 300 calories. But I'm like, it doesn't matter because as long as your inaccuracies are consistently inaccurate, we're just using this as a measuring stick. Yes. And if it's working, it's working. If it's not, we adjust from there. Just think of it as a starting place. Yeah. And that's kind of like all we'll put on there. There's some more information on the article that you can dive to. But as long as you understand that, then we can go to the deeper topics here. And then, again, you want to match your goals. So if you want to lose weight, put yourself in a deficit. Mm -hmm. If you want to maintain, maintain. If you want to gain weight, gain muscle, increase calories typically. For sure. And then next is setting your protein target. Yeah. So when it comes to setting your protein target, we use the we use a range, right? Yeah. Because for a lot of people, one gram per pound of body weight is thrown out a lot. And that, on average, for a lot of people is decent. But the range we like to use is around 0 0.7 to 1.1 grams of protein per pound of body weight per day. Mm -hmm. So that range can get higher if you're leaner or in a bigger calorie deficit. If you're... If you have a higher body fat percentage or a higher body mass, you might mm -hmm. not need the, the one gram. Like if you're 300 pounds, 
I doubt you need 300 yeah. grams of protein per day. The 0.7 scale is probably more appropriate there. But one thing I like to reiterate here is that if you're only eating 0.4, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 is, is a good start. You don't yeah. need to get it all the way up to 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8. Yeah. I mean, let's say you were recomping. That's where we see also incredibly high protein intakes. And that's kind of based off of like Chris Barakat's research. So that's like its own little exception to the rule. But for the most part, if you're getting like 40 grams of protein a day and you need closer to 100, just try to get 50 grams. Yeah. You know what I mean? And shit like yeah. That. And slowly increase it. Like just get the ball rolling in the right direction. Let's not jump from imperfect to perfect. That's not the goal. Yeah. The goal is to just do things slowly and introduce them into your life in a very sustainable and manageable way because there's nothing. Um, more frustrating than being like, oh my God, I can't hit it. And we hear that a lot. Yeah. So like we hear that with clients a lot because they struggle to get it. But there's actually one research paper I want to bring up briefly on this topic because people sometimes undervalue how, how big of a role protein can play yeah. for in weight loss. So there was like a paper a few years, it was 2016 out of uh, McMaster where they took, it was men only in this study so that there's a caveat there. But mm -hmm four week kind of a crash diet, really low calorie diet. But one group was high protein, which was 1.1 gram of protein per pound of body mass. And other group was 0.54. And they matched calories and they matched exercise. They were all in the same calorie deficit. And the high protein group actually lost 2.4 pounds more of fat over four weeks while gaining 2.64 pounds of lean body mass over the four weeks, while the low protein group gained no body mass, still lost a good amount of weight, but 2.4 pounds less. And that's every variable accounted for other than protein. That's how big of a difference it can make. If you're taking all these fancy supplements yeah. and you're low on protein, I'm like, we have solid evidence that protein is going to be way more valuable than taking, I don't know, fucking Garcinia Cambogia from Dr. Yeah. Oz. Like, Protein, keep it high first. It's so interesting because when my clients up their protein, one of the first things they notice is like, wow, I feel like I hold on to weight differently. Like my body composition yeah. has shifted a little bit. And that's usually super motivating to get them to keep going with it. Yeah. Do you hear them say they're more full? Yes. Oh, my God. They're like, I am so full. I don't feel the need to like reach for more ever, which is really kind of awesome to see. Like it's such a simple addition you know what i mean like yeah. it's it's not this like overly complicated like cut out everything and only no. drink green tea from the hours of zero to whatever it's crazy well, um, sometimes you can just you can actually lose weight or reach these yeah. goals by addition so you yes. add in more protein which is less calorically dense than some other foods especially if it's mm -hmm. a leaner protein yeah you add in fiber and water you do those three things the amount of food you're eating per like grams of food yeah. might go up but your calories might go down because they're less energy dense so you're eating more pounds of foods yeah. and you're losing more pounds of fat and you actually might feel satisfied after yeah. a meal because like if you're anything like me i can sit there with a bucket of french fries and not really feel full from them yeah but if i eat a balanced meal with some protein i genuinely feel satisfied satiated full yeah cool. and that, that's a big component of a successful meal plan or diet or whatever you're um, trying is you have to feel you're going to feel a little bit deprived if it's a fat loss diet at some point yeah. but you're just trying to mitigate that yeah high protein is probably one of the best strategies you can do as long as well as well as like really high fiber intakes okay so next so next you can kind of fit in with your carbs and fats after so on the hierarchy it's like energy balance protein and then we can talk about filling in the gaps with with carbs and fats if you want to talk about that for a second sammy 
So especially from a like women's health perspective, I mean, who am I kidding? Men need fat too. Yeah. Like we do have a minimum of fat that we need to meet in a day. So if I'm doing this for myself or for a client, the first thing I'm going to look at is my protein intake. The second thing I'm going to look at is my fat minimum. And then with the remainder, I'm going to fill that all in with carbs. Yeah. So we were digging through some research and like, a minimum floor we kind yeah. we kind of came across a decent amount was around like 0.25 grams per pound or like one or like half half a gram per kilo of body weight mm-hmm. as like the floor yeah so you don't have to eat that much so sam and i typically eat a low fat diet i think it's we are vegans we yeah. like gravitate towards it not because it's better we just kind of like it more i mean i eat 50 grams a day so you eat more than i you yeah. eat more relative than i do so i yeah. gravitate towards more of a lower fat diet and again it's not better i just prefer it yeah so i got to make sure i'm hitting that floor and like it Get, we get we take fish oils for omega threes. We try yeah. to eat marine fishes, marine sources of omega threes for that reason. But like having a minimum fat is probably important and prioritizing your fat sources. Definitely, but you can go higher than that, of course, yeah. within your budget, or you can go lower depending on your diet preference. A hundred. And then you want to plan your carbs. Yes. And when it comes to carbs, you if you're training for performance, and especially if you're not just doing like sets of three reps, yeah, you're gonna need some carbohydrate for sure. And again, women's health perspective, our brains genuinely do need carbs. Like your brain's preferred, this is for all humans, your brain's preferred fuel source is glucose. Yeah. Um, So carbs are important from a non-training perspective too and from a um, hormonal perspective because there are sort of issues that can arise from eating a diet that is devoid of carbohydrates for um, menstrual health and reproductive health in women. Won't get into that. Yeah. Well, we can leave it there, but just generally don't be afraid of carbs um, with this. And again, if you're like really afraid of fat, remember, you, you kind of got to have a minimum there. And if yes. you remember our podcast on the carbs versus fat debates, hopefully you listen to that as well and understand like within the confines of your energy budget, doesn't matter if you go high carb, low fat. Like, yeah, it's kind of personal preference. It's really personal preference. And again, this is going to come back to that process of trial and error to find what works for you and yeah. what makes you feel energetic and like satisfied yeah it's it's really weird have you ever noticed like some people when it comes to macronutrients and satiety it's all over the place so protein consistently makes people feel full but for some people it's it's like a high fat diet makes me feel really satisfied yeah and then person someone else be like high carb diet makes me feel really satisfied so there is a really individual response here and i feel really satisfied on a high carb diet with a lot of like fruits and veggies Some people are like, no, I need like a lot of fat and I feel really satisfied and good. I actually find that like the closer I get to moderation with both, like because I upped my fat intake a little bit and I found that that's been actually maybe too helpful. Maybe I feel too full lately. (laughs) Like I feel too satisfied. Yeah. So actually maybe that's not working so well. But this is actually like a live version of me showing you my process of trial and error because I was a little bit concerned that maybe my fats were too low. So I upped them. And now the thing that I'm noticing is I'm not really hungry ever. Yeah. So <laughs> You're also at maintenance too, right? Yeah. And like you eat a good amount. Yeah. It's a um, weird place. And one caveat for that is like if it's really processed foods, like processed carbohydrates aren't going to be satiated. Yes. They take out the fiber. They take out the water. That makes a big difference. We're talking about like minimally processed, like fruits and veggies and rice yeah, and shit whole like that. Foods. Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of play around with that, and that, that's kind of like the third part of yeah. this. Yeah. 
And the fourth part, or the last part is kind of the, the, the unique component to this. Cause I think everything we've said so far might not stand out too much. Like, Hey, find no calorie Basic. maintenance, protein, carb, yeah. fats. But the big part of this article and this topic that we think could be of use for you is you can use a tracking app to it, but making meals and adding to those meals over time is what's going to keep you consistent. So you can do this in Macro Factor. There's a recipe list. You can do it in My Fitness Pal. You can do whatever mm-hmm. app you have. Or if you're old fashioned and you have a notebook, you can do this in a notebook. Yeah. Create recipes and save them in your app and yes. save them in your notebook and plug and play. I was speaking to a client about this recently because she said like she hadn't been tracking for a long time. And then yeah. she started tracking and she realized how time consuming and laborious it could be. So I kind of gave her that exact advice, which was. Just if you're eating meals, like let's say over the course of a week, you know that your breakfast mostly look the same with a little bit of variety from here to there or your lunch and your dinner. Just input those as recipes because it's going to cost you so much less time. And especially when it comes to something like tracking that can feel laborious, you want to find those little ways to make it as seamless as possible. Absolutely. We talk a lot about habits. We talk a lot about like friction and mitigating friction to make things stick. One of the biggest things people say, as Sam was saying, that they don't track is because it's so fucking laborious. And it is. But Sam and I both have like six or seven meals saved in our app. Yeah. So my breakfast options are either oats, Greek yogurt, um, maybe cereal with protein. I have all of them saved in my app, plug and play. I do that. I'll do the recipes and sometimes I'll just copy and paste. Yeah. I love the copy paste feature. In Macro Factor? Yeah. Yeah. I love copying a day and pasting it because sometimes like my Tuesday will look the same as last week's Thursday and it's just so much easier rather than inputting every single little thing Yeah, to just copy paste it. Totally. So within that, what I would say is when you're making a meal, start with protein. Yeah, of course. Because that's where people are going to typically be lower on their intakes. So start with protein. If you're like, listen, my target is 120 grams per day and I'm going to eat three times. You're like, all right, I probably got to hit 40 grams in a meal or 30 grams per meal and then save room for one more protein shake. And if you don't do that, it's really easy to under eat protein. Definitely. And I mean, as you input other foods, you'll notice that your protein intake, if you did it that way, will um, start to either jump up a bit. Like sometimes, let's say if you're eating sources of wheat, wheat has protein in it. So that's fine. And then you can actually decrease the portion size of your protein that you input to make room for the other things. Yeah. And if if you end up overeating protein, that's 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 totally fine. Like that's that's not going to be a net negative in the future. I mean, I like to think of tracking in a tier system because I've definitely noticed there are different levels to tracking. Yeah. And more often than not, um, the information that we have often received like via Instagram as a consumer is like distilled down from the bodybuilding world. And most of those people are like competing for a show, which is going to require the most dialed in version of tracking macros. So they're like they're tracking their omega threes. They're tracking every spray of oil. They're tracking um, herbs and spices. They're tracking spinach leaves. Like they're going to track every single food that enters their body, every drink that enters their body. If God forbid there should be a calorie in it, they're tracking that. Yeah. We're not on that level. Like we're just kind of more 
relaxed with it, casual with it. Because to me, that seems aggressive. Like I don't have to be stepping on stage. I don't have 10 weeks to like lose X amount of weight because I need to look as like dry and cut and chiseled as possible. So for most people, we kind of want to bring it down a tier. Yeah. And then down a tier and down a tier, depending on where you're at. Like nobody should go from never thinking about what they were eating to tracking like a physique competitor. (laughs) Yeah. That's insane to me. So I like to look at it in systems, like a tier system. So for myself personally, I kept up with the practice that my coach taught me. I personally refuse um, to track non-starchy vegetables because I feel like, you know, we maintain within a range Um, Some days you'll use more energy. Some days you'll use less. Sometimes food is more dense in calories than the label will show. So there's like room for error and fluctuation because I'm at maintenance and I'm okay with that. So if let's say every day I eat 300 calories worth of vegetables and one day it jumps up to five, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because I'm just rolling around at maintenance. I find that that's also exceptionally like protective to my mental health because I find that I never want to get to a place where I'm like obsessively tracking anything. So in knowing that I kind of have my own obsessive tendencies, I need to peel back from that. So I'm not going to track like macros to the nose. I'm going to give myself more of a range. I'm not going to track veggies to the nose. I'm going to give myself more of like a range within that too. Yeah. Yeah. What's your tier system? Um, you track everything, right? So no, I, I, off, I actually, I, with a client last week, we were talking about it because he, when he goes out for dinner with family, he's like, I don't know how to track this shit. And yeah, I was like, don't. don't. What you can do is leave a buffer. Yeah. So I like this strategy with people, especially when they're, make, when they're eating dinners that are prepared by someone else. It's yeah. like, okay, we can, and this is part of the flexible dieting approach of like, for you sure. don't just do one thing. It's not like you track and that's all you do. So we track breakfast, lunch, and snacks. So like, man, I want you to be at a minimum of 120 grams of protein going into dinner. He's yeah. a very he's a very tall man, so his mm-hmm. body mass is high. So he needs like 200 grams of protein to yeah. hit those like lower ranges um, or like 180 as a minimum. So I'm like, I kind of want you to get to 120 before dinner yeah. and leave about 1,000 calories left for your dinner in your, within your budget. So all he has to do is track breakfast, lunch, and a snack, yeah. compile that to be all around 1,200 and eat a lot of protein, yeah. and then he's kind of got free range to have a normal dinner. So if you're out for dinner, it's like one entree. Yes. Totally fine. You're Maybe it's higher, maybe it's lower, but there's a buffer there for you to live your life. Yeah. So you can, I know some people, and I've given this advice for them, like just track breakfast, lunch. Yeah. And then for dinner, practice portion controls, right? Like a, a, a portion size of meat. Where's your veggies? Where's your starches? Yes. If you just do that, you're probably fine. And if you're not losing weight there, we at least know, okay, maybe we peel back breakfast and lunch, or maybe we make half the size of your carbs for dinner or yeah. like reduce the fat intake from your carbs at dinner. But you don't have to track it all meticulously. Yeah. And I mean, the alternative to that is what physique competitors do if, God forbid, they should find themselves in a position to go out for dinner. Some of them will actually bring a food scale with to dinner. And to Which makes me, sense if you're competing. Yeah, but <laughs> to, that's not a way for me to live. Like, no. I won't do that. No. I don't need to. So, yeah, for the most part, I don't ask my clients to track meals out. I, no. Because you're also playing a guessing game more often than not. Like, if you're not bringing that yeah. food scale, and even if you are, you're guessing the amount of oil. And some people are better at guessing. Some people are worse 
either we're way either way it drives us all crazy and yeah. we want less things driving us crazy we love preserving our mental health in this little coaching environment yeah, so totally i mean don't really bother trying is more often it's more about setting yourself up for success going into that meal yeah so there's actually within the article i used one of precision nutrition's famous like portion model oh so like, yeah, yeah yeah like for um, a hand a, thumb. a palm for protein a fist for veggies yeah you can that's a portable skill you can use because your Definitely. hands go everywhere so if you're out for dinner you're like i had no clue it's okay go for a palm of protein a palm maybe even two go for like a fist of veggies and then like a cupped hand of carbohydrate whether it's potato or yeah. um, rice or whatever and if there's oil in the meal which you know there is yeah that's your fat source you don't need to add more fat onto it and if that's your buffer going into it you're yeah. solid. Like you're probably not going to be in a bad place. If you get the, the appetizer and then mm. the dessert too, then it's more of a, we don't really know now. Yeah. And like the more you learn about food, the easier it kind of becomes. Like with tracking comes education. You learn what food is comprised of, right? So when you sit down to a meal, you know, I often used to think like I would look at a donut and I would be like, oh, that's pure sugar. That's all carbs. And it's like, <laughs> oh, no, honey, that's hyper palatable. Yeah. And same thing with like a plate of French fries. You can once you have that education, you can kind of sit down and be like, OK, so I know that this bowl of French fries is going to have some carbs, but also some fat. Like Often it's more fat than carbs, too. I know. Yeah. Which is it's which crazy. throws people off. Sugar on its own is not that good. No. Like it's, it's good. Don't get me wrong. But like yeah. no one go, no one's out there just going spoonfuls of sugar in their mouth no. in the same way. They're not going spoonfuls of butter. It's when you mix the two, you make magic. Yeah. That's how you sure. make donuts. You get wheat with sugar and butter. So you make pizza and yeah. French fries and chips, all the best foods. Yeah. So yeah, more often than not, when you think about something that like instantly makes you salivate, it's that combination yeah. of deliciousness. Damn. Yeah. I think that I think one of the most the things with sugar where people can get really got is soda mm -hmm. because you can just drink so much of it and it doesn't impact your hunger as much. Yeah. So it's not hard to get an extra 500 calories of Coca-Cola in a day without impacting your hunger levels. Or like a Frappuccino. They blow my yeah. mind. The fact that like, you know, I think about how some women are still dieting on like 1200 calories a day and I'm like, they could just drink one Frappuccino and that would be their entire day of food. They're not 1,200 calories. There are some that are. That's yeah. wild. It's mind-blowing. Oh, I'm going to eat your calories kind of guy. I know. I would way rather eat my calories than drink them. Yeah. But yeah. again, so within this meal plan, you can budget for your alcohol too. Yeah. Like these apps have them. Most people recommend using your alcohol budget within carbs or fats. Yeah. So don't take away from your protein to increase alcohol, yeah. but take away from your carbs or fats to Definitely. like use as alcohol because it's kind of in the middle where it's like half the amount of it's like in between it's seven mm -hmm. calories per gram and fats nine and carbs are four mm -hmm. and we don't want to sacrifice protein and again i've seen physique competitors literally weigh out how much wine they poured in a glass yeah, like so were, there is a level of accuracy and yeah fluidity depending on which end of the spectrum you fall on yeah so last thing we'd say there is just on the meal plan part like keep adding to this meal plan keep adding to this registry play Screw around on Pinterest. Look at some meal plan books. Honestly, my favorite thing in the world that I've done over the past few years, because when my coach told me that I could flexibly diet, like you have free range, eat whatever you like, just keep it within this range and we're good. Yeah. 
I don't know. At first I was rigid and I was really, really nervous because I was like so orthorexic and oh my God, I can only eat whole foods and things like that. But then I started realizing that I could be more flexible and that I could sort of gain that trust back with eating bread or eating rice. Um, You know, the foods that I had kind of put myself as off limits. And I started thinking, you know, if I feel restricted by my diet, why do I feel restricted? What's leading me to feeling restricted? Oh, it's because I'm not consuming the foods that I actually like, want, and crave. I'm eating under the guise of like being the perfect image of health. So I started thinking about what foods I like. And from there, I tried to find ways to make the foods that I typically enjoy that I would like order as takeout or get at a restaurant to find a way to make them a little bit more nutritionally dense, a little bit more macro friendly, and so that I could still maintain some sense of compliance. True. Um, and that has been the most rewarding practice because like- Sammy B makes a sick chow mein right now. I love chow mein. Like I have a soft spot for Chinese food. Like Szechuan is a love language. So being able to find ways to like make foods that still like hit the spot, But that didn't, you know, sometimes you go to a restaurant and the sauce alone is (laughs) the thing that will get you, not even the food. It's just like the delicious sauce. So I was like, how can I modify this sauce and make it more macro friendly so that I can eat that and enjoy it? And I've done that over the course of my, like, I don't want to say diet. It's your diet. That's not a diet. Yeah, it's not a diet. But like. Yeah, like my diet is full of foods that I love and enjoy and I don't feel restricted by because I went through that process of like, you know, I would find recipe inspo and be like, okay, so given this recipe, I can see that the fat content is a little bit too high for me. Maybe I want to bump that down a little bit. Maybe I want to add a little bit more of this. Maybe I can throw in more protein or modify this. And I just use recipes as inspiration and a guide to start making meals that are a little bit more macro friendly within that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, Saving grace. Yeah, absolutely. Adding to that over time, getting better and it'll just increase your nutrition IQ, which is a hundred percent. So yeah, that's, that's kind of all we'll talk about on this topic. Um, a lot of information in today's episode. Once again, the full article will be in the the description below. And there's like kind of descriptions of like carb sources, fat sources, protein sources there. Um, and just to use as a reference guide and use this episode too, so that you can keep adding to your meal plans over time and developing that level of self-efficacy and education with yourself that you won't get just from following a rigid meal plan. The truth is the more that you learn about this stuff, about like the composition of food and what maintenance looks like for you, the easier life becomes, the less effort and intention you really have to put into it because it just kind of flows better once you have that knowledge behind you rather than like chasing just a certain number. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Thanks again for listening. We really appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen to these. Um, We're going to do a QA and a soon again, so we'll want your participation in that as well. And as always, leave a review if it's not too much of an ask and Share this with any friends that you would think would benefit from this because we're trying to grow and help as much people as possible. And just to tie it back to the top, if you want to support the show, sign up for Macrofactor and use the discount code or the affiliate code 5ELEMENTS. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.